I have been dealing with, and I will deal with for quite a while now, the subject of sin. America and churches and religion and preachers across America seem to have forgotten where the problem's at. The problem's sin. The problem in homes is sin. The problem in government is sin. The problem in churches and communities is sin. And that's, that's all it is. And God can remedy that through the blood of his dear son. Sin is an awful thing. I have talked to you about why is sin sin? Baptists didn't decide what was a sin. Assembly of God, Church of God. No religious group has ever decided what sin is. Now, they may put certain uh, traditions to it or certain convictions to it. And some would say something's a sin that everybody wouldn't say is a sin. But regardless of that, the fact of sin is not something that churches conjured up. It, was, it is a decree of a holy God. And it's sin because of what God says in his word and in his character, in his person. According to the word of God, sin is a transgression of God's law, God's boundary. Transgression means you step across the line. God's got guidelines. And it's because of his holy character. And he wants us to live by those. And, and here's the kicker. He wants you to live in accordance to his will and in, in accordance to his commands for your own benefit. He said, these things have I spoken to you that your joy might be full. Now, the devil's a liar. He'll tell you drugs will give you happiness, but he's a liar. He'll tell you that, that success will bring happiness, but the devil is a liar. He'll say that education and, and prominence will, bring, uh, will give you happiness, but, but he's, the devil's a liar. In the final analysis, there's only one thing that can give you joy and peace, and that is a relationship with the Lord God, and that's only possible through the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin, I preached also a message entitled The Exceeding Sinfulness of Sin. Paul describes it that way. He said that sin might become exceedingly sinful. And then last Sunday, I talked about the way and the wage of sin. The wage of sin is death. I want to begin now to get a little specific. I realize that there's a lot of sin in the world. There's a lot of sin in Hollywood. There's a lot of sin in Washington. But I don't live in Washington. And I don't live in Hollywood. I live in Johnson County. And we just eat up with sin around here. I want to begin our thoughts along this line this morning. I want to talk to you about the saint and sin. The saint and sin. You say, Brother Billy, how in the world could you describe somebody as a saint and in the same breath say sin? Well, the biblical concept of a saint is not somebody that's declared by the Pope or anybody else to be a saint. It's according to the Word of God. Paul writes to the saints that such a place, saints such a place. And then in that book, he begins to talk about their sin. Saints means somebody who's been saved and set apart. In reality, every person in this building that's saved is a saint of God. Because it means you have become a son of God. And the word saint simply means separate or set apart. 
You are set apart from the world. You translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You passed from death unto life. You are his now, you are now his child. John says, we are now the sons of God. Does not yet appear what we'll be, but we know we are saved. We, are, we know that we're children of God. And somebody raised the question, well, can a Christian sin? I've had people say, can a Christian sin? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they can. Some of them's good at it. <laughs> sin. Sin. Look in the Bible, please. Isaiah chapter number 59. Isaiah chapter number 59. I almost was going to say, I'll get you out on time. But Pansy has already spoke to that issue. <laughs> Isaiah 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, neither his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities has separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear you. He will not hear and your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies and your tongue hath muttered perverseness. None calleth for justice nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They had cockroaches, eggs and weave the spider's web. He that eateth of their eggs dieth and that which is crushed breaketh out into a viper. Their webs shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the acts of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, wasted and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they've not known, uh, they know not. And there's no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not, not know peace. Therefore is judgment far from us. Neither doth justice uh, overtake us. We wait for light and behold obscurity and for brightness and we walk in darkness. We grope for the wall like the blind and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at the noonday as in the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. We roar like bears and mourn like doves. We look for judgment, but there is none. For salvation, but it is, not, it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before thee, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord... And departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off, and truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Will you bow with me, Heavenly Father? I pray now the Holy Ghost of God to give me that unction, that anointing, the filling of the Holy Ghost of God that will make the difference. Our Father, I pray, God, for the old-time power. I pray, God, for that convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God to be in this place this morning. I pray, God, that through the means of Internet and radio, that, God, you too could reach into hearts of people. And, God, show them, our Father, their sin. Help us to see our sin this morning. And, God, that sin is a robber. 
that sin robs us of peace and of all the things that you want us to have. Sin is not a play toy. It's not something that, God, you've said we couldn't indulge in because you don't want us to have fun. But sin is really the thing that's caused us all of our trouble and problem. And I pray, God, the Holy Ghost right now, make that true to every heart, every person in the sound of my voice. And we'll thank and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I want to remind you that salvation is forever. When you get saved by the grace of God, you're a child of God forever. You're born again. He gives you eternal life. You become partakers of a divine nature. Names written in the Lamb's book of life. You are his child, born again by the grace of God. He said, Of all those that you give me, none's perished. He keeps everyone that, he, that comes unto him. He that cometh to me, I'll in no wise cast out. Salvation is forever. But a saint, those who get saved by the grace of God, has a responsibility before God. If you studied Bible doctrine, you'd understand that there's a difference between your standing and your state. Your standing has to do with how you stand in God's uh, uh, book of life so far as redemption. It's whether or not you've been saved by the grace of God. The Bible says you're completing him. The Bible said that you're in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says you've passed from death unto life. You become partaker of a divine nature. In your, in your, your standing before God, there's therefore no, just, no condemnation to them that in Christ Jesus. You're saved for all eternity. That's your standing that, I mean, that, is, that is your, your position with God in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are now the sons of God. But your standing and your state's two different things. Your state means how you're looking and how you're living right now. It means that where you are spiritually right now, there's a vast difference between your standing being perfect in him and what you're doing down here. And the Bible, Bible teaches what's called the ministry of sanctification. That is when you grow more like Christ. All that's in you that's contrary to God, the Holy Ghost of God through the Word of God, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God, takes that out of your life. You become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the growth in the Lord. That's sanctification. But there's a great hindrance to your Christian growth. There's a great hindrance to your faith. There's a great hindrance to your Christian testimony. And it's called sin. And it's in the life of believers in this nation. He said in 2 Chronicles, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. We describe it as being just kind of cold. I, I preach, I used to be faithful to the house of God, but it just kind of got cold. I, I'm just not where I ought to be with the Lord. I, and, and, and we kind of talk about it like it is the common cold. It's, it's something everybody does. And sometimes you're in and sometimes you're out. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. But God said it is a wicked way. And what's going on in the lives of believers across this nation and in this church and in church across this country has caused us not to have the power of God we ought to have. It's caused us not to be a convicting force in our community. It's caused us not to be able to reach our children and reach our loved ones and reach folk that are dying and going to hell. It's sin that's hindered us. You say, Brother Vita, what about sin in the believer's line? The Bible said in 1 John, these things are written to you that you sin not. John writes and he said, I don't want you to sin. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And if he said, I don't want you to sin, it's possible for you to live and not commit sin. But it's also a great possibility that you can commit sin. 
He also said this in, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14. He warns us about sin. Take your Bible, turn over to, to chapter number 10 of the book of 1 Corinthians just real quick this morning. And let me show you something. In chapter number 10 of 1 Corinthians and verse number 10, listen to what he said. Neither murmur ye as them uh, also, uh, as some of them also murmured. He's talking about the children of Israel. Don't murmur, don't complain, but it's more than that. It's not just saying, I, I think it's too hot, or I think it's too cold. It, it is that person who is constantly being critical. It's that person who's always, always not accepting God's plan for their life. They're always out of kilter. Why is all this happening to me? And why me? And God doesn't love me. And God doesn't care. And, and, and this and that, blaming everything else on somebody else. I mean, he said, don't be like that. Don't do that. He said, if some of them were and were destroyed of the destroyer, now are these things, now all these things happen unto them for examples that are written for our admonition upon whom the world, end of the world's world are, is come. Now he said this, he said, what happened to Israel was for an example for us. You learn from past mistakes. And he said, all those things happen to challenge us. Watch what it says in verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. A Christian can fall. A Christian can stumble. A Christian can sin. Now watch this. There have no temptation taken you but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. He said, you, you, you're going to experience what so, uh, saints of all the ages have experienced. And he said, but whatever comes in your life, God will give you grace. God will make a way of escape if you'll listen to him. And if you'll do what he says, verse number 14, wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee idolatry. Here he gives you the admonition. Here's the warning. It is possible for you to disobey God. It is possible for you to sin. It's possible for you to lose what God's got for you. It's possible for you to, to, to experience awful things because of your sin. There are awful consequences to sin. And he said, you don't want to do that. And he said, therefore, flee. You have responsibility to flee from idolatry. Now, come back to Isaiah 59 quickly. Isaiah 59 quickly. As a saint of God, what does sin do in your life? What does sin do in your life? If you're a saint of God, been saved, and you're on your way to heaven... What does sin do in your life? Notice what it says in Isaiah chapter 59. Behold, the Lord's hands not shortened that he cannot save, neither his ear heavy that he cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Sin separates you from God. You say, Brother Billy, now you just got through saying that we were saved eternally. The Holy Spirit of God comes in our heart crying, Abba, Father. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's exactly right. But they're separated. How many of you know that a man and woman can be married and can be one flesh legally and yet be separated in the home? You don't have to be outside the home. You cannot live as husband and wife. You cannot have that intimacy. You cannot have that fellowship. You don't have that closeness. And that's what he's talking about. He describes it in the book of Revelation as having left the first love. And sin caused you to be separated from the Lord in that respect and not in the area of relationship but in fellowship. 
It separates you from the presence and the peace and the power of God in your life. It separates there. But the second thing he says this, he says that he said because of that, he said because you're separated, he says your sin has hit his face that he will not hear you. Sin hinders your prayer life. This morning, Brother Ray did a tremendous job in the opening assembly. I wish everybody could have been in here and heard that. He talked about God moving and blessing, talked about seeking the Lord and trusting God. And, and, and he began to give illustrations in his own family about how one who had been so uh, adamant against Christianity and, and his wife for years and years and years had prayed for him, lived the testimony for him. And he, he testified. He said, I was at home by myself. And he said, God knocked me down on the floor by the couch. And he said, I gave my heart to the Lord. He told about his granddaddy being in the field. And in that field, he was, he's, he'd been just had no interest in God and rebelled against God. And, and, but people have been praying for him. And he said he was plowing and said, God knocked him down that field and he trusted the Lord, got saved. And he said his only fear then was he's afraid he'd die if we got back to the house to tell his wife he got saved. How long has it been since you heard something like that? You know what I got to thinking? God's a God of grace. He's a sovereign God. But God heard the prayers of those folk who prayed for him. And there's no old time conviction because there's no old time praying. And there's no old time praying because we got so much junk in our lives. It hinders your prayer life. When I was living up in Reedsville, North Carolina, I had a fellow up there who could, could, uh, collected the old Corvair cars. They're the ones that had the moat in the back. And he had one he was so proud of, and he pulled it up in the yard of his daughter, and his grandbaby was, a grandson was going around, just a little fellow, was looking at the car, and, and, and he raised up the front of it, which is the trunk on our cars. He raised up the trunk, and the little fellow stood there and he peeped in. He said, Papa, he said, you got junk where your power ought to be. <laughs> Can I tell you what's wrong with most churches? We've got junk where our power ought to be. Sin, sin separates you from fellowship with God. Sin hinders your prayer life. But look at verse number three. He said, your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies and your tongue have muttered perverseness. Sin not only hinders your prayer and separates, but sin will defile you. It'll make you dirty. It'll, It'll make you feel dirty before God. Here he has the blood of men on their hands. It defiles you. The Bible said the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood washes us from all sin and he cleanses us, but you get defiled. That's why he said in 1 John, if you confess your sins, he's faithful just to forgive you and to cleanse you because you're defiled. Walking around unclean. When I was up in a revival, a camp meeting recently up in West Virginia, as a coal miner came in, and I'm not sure why he did it. I guess I don't, I don't know the reasoning behind it, but he came in and he had this coal, where he'd been working in a coal mine, and his face, when he first came in, I thought he'd been in a car wreck. Look at him, you know, from back, just black, bruised looking, and, and looked back there, and his, his face is looked that way. But then uh, somebody said that he was a coal miner, and said he came right from the coal mines to the camp meeting. And I, I told, you know, I don't know why he didn't wash his face unless there's something special has to be done. Some of you West Virginia people can tell me. But he didn't take time to wash his face. And he's pretty easy to spot in that whole congregation of people who were spit-shined, you know. And they said had coal dust all over his face. Couldn't help but see him. And just as obvious as that was to me, when God looks at you as a saint of God, he sees the defilement. 
You can cover it up, put on a show, and you smile, but God sees the uncleanliness in your heart and life. He sees it just that clearly. He defiled it. But notice, not only does it affect us, but look at verse 3 again. He says, your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies and your tongue of mud perverseness. Did you know that your sin blights others? You don't sin by yourself. Your testimony. And, and as this morning, as Pansy testified about some of those folks said to her that her faith had increased their faith. Our sin hurts other people. There's other people been lied on here. There's other people been talked about here. There's the blood of other men on their fingers. And your sin, you do not sin cheaply in regard to your own life, but your sin always affects others. It's affected your family. It's affected your children. It's affected folk all around you. Sin blights others around you. Notice what it says in verse 4. None calleth the justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. Sin blinds and binds the sinner. Puts you in a trap. And blinds you to so many things. That's why you can't, you don't see things. You don't see the truth of the Word of God. You can't understand the Bible. So many things about what's going on. You can't understand because sin's in your life. Look at verse 5. They've hatched cutrous eggs and weaved the spider's web. They've eaten their egg. Uh, they, he that ha, he that eateth their egg uh, die, and that which is crushed breaketh out into a viper, and their web shall become uh, not, shall not become garments. Neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the acts of violence in their hand. Listen, sin not only binds and blinds, but it distorts the mind. Notice what it says. Their feet run to evil and they've hastened to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are, are thoughts of iniquity, wasting and destruction are in their paths. And boy, now he's talking about those who he said, you're God in the beginning, you're God. And instead of being a help and a blessing, they become a destroyer. It, 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 it kind of, it, it just, it's defiled their mind. But notice verse number eight, the way of peace. They've not known. Sin destroys your peace. You roll and tumble and roll and tumble and go to the doctor and try to figure out what's wrong. Have you ever thought that it could be sin in your life? Have you ever thought that you can't have no peace until you have the peace of God in your heart? And you won't have that peace of God as long as you've got something harbored in your heart, bitterness, sin that you don't want to repent of, something that's in there that ought not to be there. And there'll be no peace. You can try everything in the world, every kind of entertainment, every kind of activity, but they're not, you'll not find peace as long as some sin's in your life. Notice something else. It not only destroys peace, verses 9 and 10. Therefore, judgment is far from us. Neither doth judgment overtake us. We wait for light and behold obscurity and for brightness, but we walk in darkness. We grope for the wall like the blind. And we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as in the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. Sin darkens the mind. Sin, it affects you physically. It affects you emotionally. 
it affects you mentally. And there's a darkness in the mind. Many of you who name the name of Christ, who've been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, you experience a dark shadow in your soul. Regardless of what you do when everybody else sings the songs of praise, there's a dark shadow in your soul, in your mind. You grope in darkness. Sin destroys your peace and sin darkens your mind. Verse 11, we roar like the bears and mourn like doves. We look for judgment. There's none for salvation, but it's far from us. Sin brings despair and a sense of hopelessness. The Bible said we sang a song, Victory in Jesus. But for the saint of God who's in sin, they grope in darkness. For the saint who's in sin and has sin in their heart, they have a spirit of despair and hopelessness. Most of the time, many, much of the time, it could be described as depression. And yet quite often, it's nothing more but sin and the result of sin in our life. Now, I don't mean to just say that it's not such a thing as depression because there is. There's clinical depression because of uh, hormonal balances and such as that, chemical balance in your body. But I'm going to tell you one thing. Sin brings a sense of depression in your life. Sin. Sin. Notice it a little further down here. It says this, verse 12. For our transgressions are multiplied before us. And our sins testify against us. And our transgressions are with us. And as for our iniquities, we know them. To know and not repent of them, to be aware it's there, brings all the repercussions I've just gone through. Sin, sin brings guilt. God does not send the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God to leave you in a sense of guilt. God doesn't reveal these things about darkness and despair and defilement, all those things. He doesn't reveal those things to you to bring you to a place of despondency. It's like the law. The Bible said the law was given that every mouth might be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. Why? To point us to Christ. And the reason he sends a convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God, the reason these results are so obvious, the reason that you, you live daily with this sense of guilt of your, your sin is because he wants to do something about it. Look at verse number 15. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departed from evil maketh himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him and his, his righteousness sustained him. Verse 20, and the Redeemer shall come to Zion and to them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. Here's a remedy. Sin's a reality, but here's a remedy. God looked at us and he said, here they are in their sin. 
Now, don't you listen to this. As a believer, Pansy said something in the hospital she didn't say up here. I'll help her with her testimony. She told me, she said, I wanted to be in charge. I wanted to be in charge. That's when she came to the point where she's just going to trust God. And she trusted him all the time. He just, she just wanted him to give her that peace, and he did. But she said, I want to be in charge, but I never was really in charge. And some of you want to be in charge, but you're not really in charge. Sin is in your life as a believer. Holy Ghost of God is dealt with your heart about it. He said, our transgressions are before us. They multiply and we know them. If you're a saint of God, the Holy Ghost, God lives inside of you. I don't have to list and enumerate all of your sins. He's already done that. You know where you are in him. Now you can stay in that sense of guilt and despondency or you can do what it says here. He said, he looked and he said, they couldn't help themselves. He said, but the arm of the Lord brought deliverance. And salvation. You could not save yourself. You can't revive yourself. But if you this morning would flee to him and get around this altar and say, God, I am your child. And God, I've got things in my life that ought to be there. I confess that to you. you. But God, you're the one that's got to cleanse me. You're the one that's got to restore me. And God, I'm throwing myself completely on you to do that. He said, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves. Say, I can't do it. I can't get myself back where I ought to be spiritually. But God, you can. And humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And he said in this place, Jacob, uh, he said, the Redeemer's coming to Zion and to them that turn. If you're willing to turn this morning, he'll forgive you. I want you to bow your heads in prayer. I preached, I believe the Holy Ghost of God led me to preach as I preached. I didn't try to be loud. I didn't try to be demonstrative this morning. I tried to give you the truth. The Holy Ghost of God deals with your heart. If we ever going to see revival in America, it must start among God's people. If my people, which are called by my name, any of those things describe you, you feel like you walk around in a cloud, feel like you got a shadow over your shoulder all the time. Used to be a time that you had the joy of the Lord and you walked in the light and it was such a delight to go to the house of God. And when you read the Bible, God made himself real to you and you wept. When you came to a prayer time, you knew he was there and he's right in your presence and you talked to him. You, You were not separated from him and he did hear your prayers and he did answer your prayers. I'm going to tell you right now, for the sake of your children, your grandchildren, this nation, God's people need to get right with God and get close to him so we can, he'll hear our prayer. I want to challenge you this morning while we have our heads bowed and eyes are closed. Let's stand together. I wonder this morning, did the Holy Ghost of God speak to you? Our transgressions are before us. And we know them. Holy Ghost of God's done his work. He's already put his finger on your life. I don't know what it was. It may have been your lack of faithfulness to the house of God. You're, you're not doing what he wants you to do in some area. Maybe it's some thought, some deed, some action. I, I, he, he's diagnosed all your case if you're his this morning already. And I'm just going to say to you this morning, he said he looked around and said, there's no truth, there's no justice. And he said, therefore, the Lord himself did it.
with his arm, with his righteousness. And I'll tell you what you can do. Just like you got saved, if you come to him and say, God, I want to be restored. I want to be revived. God, I turn from my sin, turn to the Savior, acknowledge and confess sin that he brings to your mind and confess it honestly and say, God, that's wicked. That's wicked. Don't try to justify it. Get it out. Confess it. I promise you he'll do what he said. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my faith and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins and I'll heal their land. I invite you to come. If you can't kneel, just come stand around the front. Disobedience is a great sin. I want to encourage you to obey him this morning. Some of you have been praying seeking God's guidance and he showed you what he wants you to do and you hadn't done it yet. Obey him. Obey him. God's Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. Now let me say a word to the, those here who may not know the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, Brother Billy, you make, you, you make it sound like that being a Christian is a tough thing. No, it's a battle. And it's neither easy nor hard. It's completely impossible. Impossible. Without him, we can do nothing. And he loves us enough to deal with us when we're in rebellion, when we're not where we ought to be. And he wants us to experience revival. The children around the altar, I want you to just pray. God's people around the altar, you pray. Do what David said. David said, Lord, search my heart. See if there's any wicked way. In Anything in there that's not where it ought to be, let him show it to you. You get honest with him. But for the saints of God, that's their, that's their need today. But if you're here today and you're not saved, you've got only one need. You need to be saved. 